Stephen. Nicholas. There he is. I'm right here. Yeah. You ready? I am ready. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who uh who kicks it off this time? Um I think I do actually. Dive in. I don't remember, but here we go. Grace, peace, and welcome to Podcast of the Wills, a podcast that treats Star Wars like a sacred text. My name is Nick Milky. And I have completely forgotten my name, Nick Milky, because of today's <laughs> Mandalorian. I'm Steve Renault. How are you doing, Nick? I am doing fantastic. I got an and... early morning text from you going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, or something <laughs> along those lines. And so you, you set the bar before I, I tuned in. Well, uh, well hopefully got... I, I didn't elevate your expectations beyond where they were met. <laughs> Well, I, you know, we had an inkling that we would be meeting uh, some some characters from other uh, parts of the galaxy, and and that's indeed what happens today. So we'll dive, indeed. we'll dive right into that because we know we have our myriads of fans who uh, want to <laughs> hear our our review. We actually we got a text from a dear friend, Rob uh, Couch, who um, who said uh, that they have to go back and rewatch it after they hear us because. Uh, uh, we we tease out so many amazing things. That's or at right. least, we, we, at least that's how I read his text. A- absolutely, I, I like being a service in that way. That you know, all of our obsessing can make somebody else go, "Oh yeah, maybe I should look for that too." So we're just here for the fans, for the people, for the people. So Nick, <laughs> we yes, do sir. our regular five questions. I see no reason to break that tradition. So let me ask you, what was your favorite part of today's episode? Absolutely. And two quick points just at the top of that. We try to remember to do this every time. We may not have last week. But if you have not watched Mandalorian oh, yes. Chapter 11, The Heiress yet, please stop what you're doing and go do that and come back because this will be very spoiler heavy. There are spoilers aplenty. Imperial klaxons sounding right now. Um, we don't want to ruin it for you. We want to, you to enjoy this experience. So if you haven't seen it yet, pause, go check it out, and then come back and hear what we have to say. Listen, well, we also, have to say, then watch it again. And then watch it again. That's exactly right. We're just helping Disney drive the watches up because I'm sure they need our help. They do. Um, they owe us. Uh, and also, I did want to acknowledge that this episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes. Um, and she directed last season, I believe it was the Sanctuary episode, which mm-hmm. was the one with the village and the AT-AT Walker, um, AT-AT Walker, depending on how you like to say that. Um, and it was another of those Western trope band of characters comes together, helps the villagers defend themselves, find themselves, all of that. She did a fantastic job, and she was one of the ones that they highlighted in the galleries, the different directors going through, and they even kind of made the joke that they gave her the hardest one. They wanted to throw her into the deep end, and, you know, I've heard people complain about that episode. I really liked that episode. I thought it was a good one. Um, I have not heard a soul complain about that episode. For, and not bad complaints. To. I mean, of course, the one everybody complained the most about was the gunslinger, and I'm not disagree. I'm not disagreeing with that. But there were times where people, I think, thought it was a little too tropey. But that's what this is supposed to be. Um, so I thought it was a fantastic episode. I thought she did an excellent job directing that one, and she did not disappoint with this one. And at this point, I'm saying let's let Bryce Dallas Howard do more Star Wars things because she knocked it out of the park. Well, it was directed by her, and this one was written uh, by John Favreau. I know Correct. that he writes most of it, but I mean, this one was personally written by Favreau too. That is um, correct. And so let's uh, let's dive right into let's it. Let's go. Chapter eleven, 
Gutierrez. Absolutely. Uh, what was your favorite part of this episode, Nick? My favorite part, and there's there's no surprise here. My favorite part was Bo Katan. And I and I will say more specifically, my favorite part about having Bo Katan was having Katie Sackoff play Bo Katan. Yeah, Katie, Katie Sackoff just is like her. I mean, it was perfect. It really was. I had I thought I had a a moment of issue with the wig or her hair. But when I went back and I see the screenshots from Rebels mm-hmm. and from Clone Wars, like that's mostly what it looked like. It was that kind of awkward hairline with that headband yeah, that I think has some control stuff. And at it, and times it was kind of mussed up, but I thought she took her helmet off. And if I take my hat off, my hair doesn't look good either. So I got over that really quickly. Um, but Katie Sackoff voiced her in Clone Wars and Rebels yep. to be able to bring that thing. And that's hard because there are other actors and actresses that are not going to be able to do that. You know, the rumor with Ahsoka Tano is that it will not be it Ashley be Eckstein. Eckstein. I know. It will I've be, you know, Rosaria Dawson. Right. Rosaria Dawson, which I think is a great choice. I think that that, you know, is a fit, but not everybody can do what they were able to do with Bo-Katan and Katie Sackhoff. And so the fact that they did to me is just fantastic. It's clear that she was excited about it in the lead up to this and some of the interviews. And once it was rumored that she was going to do it, she was very enthusiastic. Um, in fact, I even saw on Twitter yesterday, she tweeted out the very vague, is it Friday yet? And everybody, of course, jumped on. Does this mean what I think it means? <laughs> and then she trolled everybody and followed up with, for those of y'all that are wondering, Friday is my cheat day with a bunch of different food emojis um, and being funny. But obviously, we did get Bo-Katan and her two counterparts. And so... That was easily my favorite part of this episode, not just to get Bo-Katan and to see that character realized in live action, but I just love the fact that they were able to do it with Katie Sackhoff and how well they pulled it off. Well, and, and let's just very briefly, Nick, uh, let's, let's, we, you and I could probably trace Bo-Katan's uh, story for 45 minutes, but <laughs> let's, let's try to do a very quick skim for those people who may Maybe, you know, watch the films, maybe tuning into Mandalorian, but really haven't dove into Clone Wars or Rebels. Uh, and so the first time we get to see her really is the Clone Wars. Yes, mm-hmm. that's and correct. Her, her sister, her sister uh, is named Princess Satine. Duchess, she, Duchess, Duchess Satine. Duchess Satine. I'm not, I'm not reading from notes. I'm just that's doing okay. this remember. That's okay. Um, and so Duchess Satine is, for all intents and purposes, the ruler of of Mandalore, but in a kind of a demilitarized time. Correct. And Bo-Katan is Duchess Satine's sister, who is secretly also a part of something called Death Watch. Right. And Death Watch is basically uh, a a group of people, a a group of Mandalorians. They have a base off of a moon from Mandalore, uh, which is the home world of the Mandalorians. And they very much want to see the militaristic side of Mandalore, uh, Mandalorian culture come back. And so that's a driving story in the Clone Wars. You can watch that. It's a big reveal that, in fact, Satine's sister is kind of one of the leaders of Death Watch. Death Watch then, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, Death Watch then teams up, and this is still in the Clone Wars, they team up with Darth Maul. Correct. After the... Maul becomes the leader of Death Watch at one point. Yeah. Um, he takes possession of the Darksaber, which we have seen in last season and which mm-hmm. is mentioned towards the end of this episode by Bo-Katan herself. And so that, that thread of Death Watch, and that's something that we're actually going to get to in a minute with yeah. my, my pivotal plot point. Uh, but I think something else that is of note 
in relation to this, and for those who may not be aware, you mentioned Duchess Satine, who was Bo-Katan's sister. Duchess Satine had a relatively flirty romantic relationship with our friend General Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. And it was one of those kind of moments where Obi-Wan was tested by the bounds of his Jedi. He had feelings for this character, for this person, and then ultimately she is killed as a part of one of these episodes arcs, Duchess Satine is. And so that get, that has Bo with some connection to the Jedi, not only because of right. her sister's relationship with Obi-Wan, the relationship to the Jedi, to what was going on in Mandalore during that time. Um, and so it even opens those doors and makes that much more sense that she yeah. would be the one who's familiar with Jedi. And of course, the indication that she knows where Ahsoka is, you know, it, it covers a couple of different levels. Right. But, um, because, but yes, there is. Because Go Bo-Katan goes and gets Ahsoka. She, well, she tries to get Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka to come and help free Mandalore from, uh, from Maul. This is the end of the Clone Wars. This is the newest kind of Clone Wars, the one that just came out, and they successfully do that. And then at some point, uh, Bo-Katan is um, kind of dethroned by, um, by a group of Imperial Mandalorians that have kind of yes. sold themselves out to the Empire. And then that's when we pick her story up in Rebels, where she reestablishes and is, receives the dark saber um, from uh, Sab- Sabine Wren, who finds mm-hmm. it, and uh, and kind of unites Mandalore, and and there's this very real sense that she's going to take back her throne at the end right. of Rebels. We don't know what happens then, but what we can tell just from the context of this show is that she does reestablish Mandalore, but the Empire comes back and hits even harder with mm-hmm. Moff Gideon and what's That's known right. as the Mandalorian Purge. And she is dethroned again. And Moff Gideon ends up with the Darksaber, which is like Excalibur for Mandalorians. That's um, right. And, and they say in, I guess they don't say it in this episode, but um, the Darksaber also, for those who are not familiar or didn't catch it, um, in, I don't, they didn't talk about it in last season either. The Darksaber was forged by Tar Vizsla, who mm-hmm. in the original Clone Wars TV show was actually voiced by Jon Favreau, right. um, our hero here in The Mandalorian. But it was forged by Tar Vizsla, who was the first Mandalorian to train with the Jedi. And so there was this long you know, history of that initial contact. And then at some point, those factions separated and went awry. The Jedi ended up with the Darksaber. Then at some point, Mandalorians in one of their battles with the Jedi reclaimed it. And so it then, like you said, kind of gained this Excalibur type legend and place of honor in that whoever possessed and could wield the Darksaber was the designated ruler of Mandalore. Kind of had a Mjolnir feel to it in a way. If you could wield the Darksaber, then you were worthy to, to rule Mandalore. And so, as you said, in the Clone Wars, uh, we see Sabine Wren come into possession of the Darksaber trains it, goes back, fights with her family, and when that arc ends and she reclaims her place alongside her rebel friends, she passes the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and says, you should you know, rightfully be the ruler of Mandalore because your sister was the ruler before us. And that's where it was left until it showed up on top of the TIE Fighter at right. the end of last season's Mandalorian. And all we really know, as we've said before about Moff Gideon, is that he was a part of a group that was known as the Imperial Security Bureau. Is that right, ISB? I believe um, I believe so, which is the, the the I know the initials are right. I'm yeah. making sure I have the acronym yeah. right. But Imperial Security Bureau, 
which was kind of like internal affairs for the empire. They were in, in the midst of things, digging stuff up, figuring out what's going on. And so that was his role at some point, but we don't know how did he then come to possess the dark saber? Was it a part of what we've heard about, which is the night of a thousand tears, which was a part of one of the purge of Mandalore mm-hmm. stories. You know, there's a lot of room for those stories to still potentially be told, whether it's in a flashback or something else. We don't know yet. So the, the but, thing um, that Bo-Katan is looking for, he, she has the, uh, the uh, Imperial officer wants to know where it is. Does he still have it? That what they're talking about is the dark saber, um, correct? And that and Bo-Katan needs that if she's going to reestablish rule on Mandalore, which we have learned apparently there's disinformation that it's cursed. That's why we have these Mandalorians spread throughout the galaxy, and not trying to return home. It's um, you know, it's kind of like you know the Jedi all scattered from Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and set up pockets um, and, and could not come home. It seems like something similar has happened. And if you're curious, well, I thought Mandalorians and Jedi didn't like each other. They don't historically. But remember, Bo-Katan teamed up with the Jedi to try to take back Mandalore during the Clone Wars. And so right. Bo-Katan is Jedi sympathetic, which is why That's she right. knows where Ahsoka Tano is. So that was my favorite part, too, is that moment... I knew her from her armor, which is the nerdiest thing I think I could say. <laughs> but the minute she landed, I was like, I know that armor. That's bo That's exactly right. And when, when uh, she took her helmet off, uh, that's, that's a big moment because you get to see Katie Sack off and you're like, that's bo But the other thing was, and I think it was a really interesting moment, is you quickly learn there are different Mandalorians out there. Because that, that throws our Mandalorian for a massive loop. And he just assumes, uh, and we had a really good setup with this, with the uh, with Timothy Oliphant's character, uh, with uh, Cobb Vanth, mm-hmm. that if he sees a Mandalorian take the helmet off, that must mean that that armor is stolen. Correct. Um, and so you quickly you quickly realize our Mandalorian in this story is not like other Mandalorians, and that something big. We wondered this last season: has something changed? Have they reverted back to like an older way of thinking? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're very quickly kind of caught up with a little bit of really good exposition to learn that's not where we are. But it sounds like that might be your pivotal plot point, so I don't want to step on that. Um, actually, I spoke out of turn. It's actually my dig deeper. So, yes, ah, I do okay. have some, some further thoughts as well, we we'll, get down through the questions. But we'll, we'll as you say that and as we keep moving, what was – because as we say, it's easy to find favorite parts in this wonderful, wonderful show – but we also try to look at the other side. What was your least favorite part of this episode or thing in this episode? So I, I really enjoyed seeing Quarren. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this the first live action Quarren we've really seen? Or I think the cantina scenes last season. Okay. I feel like we've seen. Uh, so it was it was cool to see Quarren and Mon Cal's kind of hanging around. Those are our kind of squid uh, yes. people. Um, and it, and but I'll tell you the thing that kind of threw me a little bit, and it's kind of what threw me, uh, I think, either last episode or the episode before that, is the Corrin attack the Mandalorian and the child. They clearly want to kill the child, right? Right. Um, I mean, they, they want, they, that is their desire, is to kill that child. Cool. Okay. Why? Like, I, I get that we have this, like, sense of everybody's out to get this child, but are these, are these people, have they been contracted by the Empire? Like, we have that ambush a couple a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like everybody's hunting this kid down, and we don't and know. If, it, I, I don't know. It just seems a little bit like 
Why? Why did they attack them? They don't know. They didn't know they were coming here. I mean, I, you know what I mean? I don't know. If I, d- I do. And I actually think I have an answer for you on this particular one. I agree with you on the episode, on chapter nine, the marshal, that one, you know, that did have a feel of, you know, take the child, the little guy with the mask on was running with the kid and all that. I don't think that was the case in this episode because as they had our Mandalorian inside that cage and stabbing them with the spears, they kept, they said, we're going to be rich. We're going to get the best car. I think they were strictly after the armor. I don't think it had anything to do with the child. And I think it was a matter of they kicked the kid into the pit because they knew he would dive in after it. And then when they threw the cage lid over the top, as they're stabbing through the grates, they say something about the best car and they say something about we're all going to be rich brothers. Like, I think this was straight up a, an armor jacking and not anything else. Okay. I'll allow it. It seemed very, they were going after the kid. Uh, and I mean, how do they know that he's not going to die? I, I don't know. It just, to me, it's one of those things of what, what's happening here. Um, <laughs> Does everybody always have to be after the kid? Well, I mean, I, I, I get that. And, and if you want to do, I mean, it could have been something very small to let us right. know, like these people are hunting him down, but, and, and I, I, I concede that point with the, the best car. I remember that line. Yeah. But, I, I think mean, this one, they were, they were after his riches, which was his armor. Yeah. All right. Well, then I will retract mine, but what was your favorite part? <laughs> um, mine. And this is kind of a nitpick because again, it's a fabulous episode and there's not a lot to really be critical of. Um, I wish as a point of the storytelling, and it really didn't have to change anything that happened. Um, It didn't even have to change the actor. Um, The actor that played the male Mandalorian that came in with Bo-Katan, his character name is Axe Woves, W-O-V-E-S. Axe, like a thing you Mm -hmm. chop with. Um, He was played wonderfully by an actor named Simon Cassianides. I don't recognize him really from anything else. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I saw that in his IMDb. I'm just not familiar enough with the show to recognize him outright. My issue is I think that would have been the perfect opportunity for that character to have been Sabine Wren's brother in those rebel episodes of Rebel. Bean goes back to Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Her brother and her mother were working with the Empire at that point. She has to convince them to turn against the Empire. They ultimately do. And when it's all kind of said and done, her brother stays behind. And it could have made a lot of sense that her brother ends up serving with Bo-Katan or being connected with Bo-Katan. The age would have worked. Everything about that would have been right. And so to me, like I said, just from a little nitpick, I think it could have added just one more little layer of nerdery. Yeah. Or even a hint towards the possibility that we might see Sabine. To my mm-hmm. knowledge, you know, we've had Ahsoka rumored. We've had Bo-Katan rumored. I don't know that we've had an outright Sabine Wren rumor. It was kind of tossed around with the other Mandalorian character, Casca Reeves, um, played by Sasha Banks, the wrestler mm-hmm. and whatever else she has done. But it was kind of, that was shot down pretty quickly that she wouldn't be Sabine. Um but beyond that, I don't know that we've had an outright rumor of her, but that would have been a great tease towards, you know, this is Tristan Wren, which also just leaves open the possibility of, well, if these two are together, Sabine might be with yeah. Ahsoka or might be, you know, somewhere else. So, again, very small, very nitpicky, but I thought that would have been a great opportunity to have another callback like that. Yeah, and and it, just because Tristan went there doesn't rule out Sabine. Uh, absolutely, but, absolutely. But, yeah, definitely. But what do you think was our pivotal plot point of this episode. I think 
to, to me, the pivotal plot point, which I'm a little bit surprised they did it this way, but they might as well have flashed the name up in the middle of the screen in big, bold letters when uh, Bo tells the Mandalorian, go to this planet, go to this city, and there you will find Ahsoka Tano. Like, <laughs> we've yeah. known it was coming. It's been rumored it's coming. We all but, you know, have been guaranteed that we're going to get Ahsoka in some form or fashion. And to me, that's the pivotal plot point. That is, this is what he's been trying to do. He's been trying to find a Jedi. He's been trying to find, you know, this connection to the people that can help with this child and relate to this child and be a part of this, his quest that he is on. And, um, and so we've got that leading. Now, I will say my own personal theory is that we will not see her next week. I think this will be yeah. another week out. Yeah. Um, I think next week has the potential for like a side quest. Mm-hmm. Or what if we even got a while he's limping, <laughs> which, by the way, it was incredibly entertaining to see him get back in his ship at the end and see it repaired with like string and fishing nets and ropes <laughs> and things. Um, but while his ship is limping across the galaxy trying to get to that place. What if the action jumped to Navarro where grief cargo is, or what if it jumps mm-hmm. to Gideon and we get some other like, wow, this is going on. This is going on. Yeah. I will be surprised if we get Ahsoka as an immediate follow up next week. Um, they only have so many episodes. This is an eight episode run. So next week will be number four. So obviously they can't go too far, but I think number five is going to be where we actually see her. And to me, that also makes sense because my understanding is that's the one that Dave Filoni directed. Yeah. And obviously Ahsoka is... They're going to get you know, that lead chair on that, that that's, Dave's, that's Dave's baby. And so, um, but to me, that was the pivotal plot point. We heard her name. Yeah. We know it's happening. And that gives our Mandalorian the turn and the pivot that he needs to feel like he's getting somewhere in this quest. Yeah, we definitely got two major points of kind of forward progression one, uh, he found more Mandalorians, but he Correct. didn't only just find more Mandalorians. He found the right <laughs> the Mandalorians. Of, the, of the Mandalorian throne. And so that's a that's a big uh, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, if he had found just random Mandalorians, great. You know, he's not in this alone. Uh, but at the same time, we you know, he found some pretty important Mandalorians. I'll agree. It was, I, I will say it was one of the rare times that, uh, that this show kind of like smacked you with right. uh, Easter egg stuff. Um, and I mean, and I have to, I always try to take that with a little bit of grace for the show of please, please, please remember that, that probably I, I would say the order of people who are kind of watching this is everybody who's watching this has watched the films. And but I bet there is not an insignificant portion of people who are watching this who have never seen the Clone Wars or Rebels. Oh, no doubt. And so, without and question. so, yeah, I, I, can, I can think of three friends off the top of my head that are watching Mandalorian and love it, but have mostly seen like the main Star Wars movies, and that's it. Yeah. So Ahsoka is not in any of the main movies, um, and so uh, you know, I, I I can get the reason for the kind of blatant find this person. Um, right. I also agree with you that it could have done very well. Of I don't know of any Jedi's. I know of a former Jedi. She's on the planet Corvus. Tell her Bo Katan mm-hmm. sent you. Exactly. And I think if you the tease could have been, you know, where's the Jedi? Okay, go to this place. Go to this place. She will be waiting for you. If you had just said she would have been waiting, she will be waiting for you. To me, I'm already going. That's her. That's, that's her. Okay. Yeah. It's a she. She said she. 
Uh, like that would have been, and that wouldn't have but been, again, that but, wouldn't have been disorienting for a general audience, right? Correct. Um, correct. And I'm not mad at this, you know, choice, but I, it's absolutely the pivotal plot point for me is that we heard that name and we know what his target is. You could also kind of come back from a little bit and say, why wouldn't Bo-Katan just tell tell him the name of his of of the of her contact, right? So right, I, I get it. Absolutely. But I also get that kind of sense of boy. I mean, it, it's not quite as bad as. Uh, as uh, the the uh, Naboo <laughs> officer saying, this droid the entire planet R two D two, and uh, the entire planet is a city. Yeah, and they fly into Coruscant. Uh, well, what about you? What was your pivotal plot point for this episode? Oh, Ahsoka being, being okay. introduced, even if they didn't say her name, uh, sure. Ahsoka. But I, th- I think you got the two. I think you have Ahsoka, the tease of Ahsoka, and the introduction of Bo Katan. Those are two very important post uh return of the jedi characters very important um you know you you clearly have your top tier of solo and leia and and luke running around they're alive right now right they're alive doing things correct but i'm talking about like that second tier uh of like who's alive uh ahsoka is a pretty big deal um Mm -hmm. and and it also this is the first kind of confirmation that ahsoka made it out of the original trilogy Right. We we did not know that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the last we knew that she was still alive was um, was Rebels. Rebels takes place between uh, episode uh, four and episode five. Is that correct? Uh, oh, right. No, it's before. Right in the run up. It's right before. In the run up to episode four. It's right in the run up to four. Correct. So, I mean, the last time we see Ahsoka alive, um, you know, is is in that time period right before um correct the original trilogy did, re, begins. remind remind me did you finish ever finish rebels yes okay so yeah so we do have you know the ending of rebels is sabine and ahsoka teaming up to go find ezra yeah and that's that's the last of we see of her and that does posit an interesting question or thought which is where no she's still here so where was she over the course of the original trilogy, was she out on that mission? She's obviously not seemingly on that <laughs> mission now. Although if Ezra Bridger shows up in this thing with her somewhere, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't think um, that's out of the realm of possibility. And- I don't either. And, and if you follow Raul Corey, who has been in the haunting of Bly Manor and the other haunting movie that's on Netflix, um, he has been doing some top level trolling on Twitter saying how he'd like to play Ezra because he would make a perfect older Ezra Bridger. And he'll post little shots of him like, what are y'all doing? Nothing. And like Rebels is playing on TV in the background. And it, it's really worth checking out. It's really funny. Um, but if you but... find Ezra, who else are you finding? <laughs> you find Grand Admiral Thrawn. You find Grand potentially. Admiral Thrawn. Um, potentially. I don't, Pierce Brosnan himself. I don't, I don't feel like we're going <laughs> to, I don't feel like this is all a, a run up to, to, Get us Grand Admiral Throne. I think, a, a full live action Rebels reunion. I don't. I don't. I just don't. I don't feel like that. I feel I like don't our, either. I feel like our big bad is Moff Gideon. Absolutely. Uh, but you know who knows where this is going to go. Absolutely. Um, well, let me. Speaking of big bads, and then I want to move on to our next category. Um, I had this thought, and I've kind of voiced it. I think on Twitter, I've voiced it with a couple of other podcast network friends that I've talked to. Um, at the end of the Marshall, we see Tamara Morrison and we see, you know, we know that he's Boba Fett. Um, we have the boots at the end of the gunslinger episode next to Fennec Shand. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I like the idea that Boba Fett has a 
Thanos type arc in the Marvel series. Like he's going to pop up maybe in that first one and maybe something at the end of this season as we move towards a more fully realized like head on collision with Boba Fett at some place down the road, as opposed to like in episode six, Holy cow, here he is in a whole episode. Yeah. I I think he's going to be not a, we're going to team up Boba Fett and go do this thing. I think it's going to be, who is this guy and, and why is he trying to kill me? Um, (laughs) Exactly. But, uh, but then again, you know, is it just for the armor? Like there's gotta be more there. And and remember Boba Fett uh, represents another tie to cloning. So that's right. uh, And he is not a Mandalorian, not a Mandalorian. So, uh favorite easter egg i didn't feel like we had as many easter eggs this uh, this episode was certainly lighter uh certainly more light than the first one the first one was jam-packed which was great last week we talked about there were a few um i think this one was lighter but that's fine too because we don't have to be smacked in the face with it um i will say and of course i wrote down wrote down several so i'll give one i want to hear yours and then i'll hit any of the others um just for fun the first one that I wrote down was the Gozanti freighter. That was my first one. Which, was, which was the ship yeah. that they stole. And to me, what stood out the most about this ship is that this ship is featured a lot in Rebels. And it's the one that you see the ghost crew kind of running in and out of a lot. And it's the one that typically has four TIE fighters docked to the bottom mm-hmm. of it. It's not a full Star Destroyer. It's not something like the big transport ships. It is a smaller freighter, but it still had the capacity. In fact, I looked it up to dock four TIE fighters on the bottom of it, or you could take out the four TIE fighters and a TIE bomber would also dock to it, was what it said. Um, So to me, that was a wonderful Easter egg towards that ship, because that ship is seen a lot in Rebels. The first time we see it ever is in Phantom Menace, when they land on Tatooine. And it's also an attack of the clones, and it's all throughout Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, Right. But to see it, uh, the interesting thing is, if you're like, well, I, I don't remember seeing that in the original trilogy, it's because it kind of got discontinued. It's not a very fast ship. It, it became less popular. Uh, and then to see it come back, what that really means is it's showing you that the Empire is struggling. Um, right. Because it's... And, and set five years after the second Death Star, yeah. that makes perfect sense. These are remnants of the Empire. And it's not a very fast ship. It's a heavily- and it also clearly has a design flaw where there's a middle room that controls the cargo area before you get to the actual <laughs> cargo area. Um, I thought that was a little funny of, wait, where are they? And um, <laughs> He repeats it, and then they get sucked out into the atmosphere. There was some good kind of Mandalorian humor with that. And I, also, yes. I really liked the, uh, I really liked, and I, I'd like for it to become her, uh, her kind of catchphrase of, put the T on, we'll be up in a minute. Um, <laughs> exactly. To me, and, and to me, that's really funny. Although I, I don't know the 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 uh, character who played the uh, the imperial officer did not have a distinctly British accent. The uh, navigators did. But, Correct, uh, and that actor is Titus Welliver, um, and he has been in a million different things. Uh, one of his more notable things is he plays actor Harry Bosch, TV mm-hmm. show Bosch, and he is an American actor. So. Instead yes. of putting and he was the on, smoke monster on Lost. Yes, he was the smoke monster on Lost. So um, he has been in a bunch of different things. But I was as soon as I saw him, I just was. He's another one of those happy to say, "Oh yeah, I love that guy." Like it was. Yeah, I'm glad they had him for that. Um, if you'd done a more because you know the the Imperials always have that, mm-hmm. that uh, accent, and and here in in this so far, we, you know our main Imperials that we've seen thus far, one has 
amazing German accent. Which <laughs> I wouldn't mind if the Imperials sounded like that. But typically, the Imperials are supposed to have might, very yeah. It might be a little too on the nose if the Imperials all had strong German accents. Yeah, a little too <laughs> on the nose. Uh, but definitely a reference back to the Nazis with the uh, cyanide capsule. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but anyway, well, I, I like that kind of dig and put the T on because, I mean, that there was that sense of the rebels all had American accents. Yep. And that and the Imperials traditionally all had uh, these British accents. And so that put the T on was a little, to me, a little <laughs> fun poke at the Imperials. Uh, but no, I, I, the Gazanti class cruiser, to me, it was neat to see it again. Of course, we saw it on in a movie the first time we saw it. But to me, for deep fans, I think it shows Empire struggling. We've seen yes. that throughout this but 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 the empire is really struggling uh, uh and and to see that ship is there what, what were your other uh, uh, a couple other things and this one is just kind of cheeky and funny and silly but the very first time calamari standing on the dock as the ship's about to land and then falls in the water the first words that came out of my mouth to my 12 year old as we sat on the couch and she didn't understand what i was saying i said it's a mon calamari in a cable net because he was wearing a cable knit sweater under his, it was just a very like, wait a minute. We all have sweaters like that. Our grandparents have sweaters. It was funny. So to me, there's this whole thing now about a calamari and a cable net. <laughs> um, but as far as other Easter egg kinds of things, uh, I'd said the two other ones that stood out were the name of the planet and the city that Bo directs the Mandalorian towards and I'm an, I don't remember it, which one is the planet and which one is the city, but Corvus. they were Cor- Corvus, Corvus and Caladan. Okay, Corvus is the planet and Caladan is the city. Well, Corvus, and I, while I have not played this game, I did know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corvus is the name of the ship in the Battlefront 2 story mode yeah. in that video game. It's Inferno so, Squadron's ship. Yes, that's the big main ship in, for Inferno Squadron. And then to me, Caladan, while having one letter change differently, I couldn't help but think of Dune by Frank Herbert. Because Caladan is that not the name of the planet or the kingdom. And I've never read Dune, so I'm not familiar. But I believe um, the planet is Caladan in Dune. Um, so and to it's me, also one letter. It's also one letter away from Callahan, like Callahan Auto Parts. <laughs> this is, maybe that was it. Maybe it was San, <laughs> Sandusky, Ohio. Callahan Sandusky, Auto Parts. Ohio. <laughs> you know that that could be exactly where they were heading. So to me, that was a neat. Um, there been we we love our Star Wars Easter eggs, but as we have gone yeah. throughout this series, we have also had some Easter had, eggs and yeah, nods toward things. like Alien. Um, Peli Moto, yeah. her look with the big curly hair and the jumpsuit, that is very reminiscent of Ripley in Alien. Um, mm-hmm. Eating the egg last week, Baby Yoda, uh, that thing popped, that looks like the, um, what are they called? The, um, the face suckers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same thing this week when he has, he's eating his soup in the end. The, the, yeah, the, the octopus sucks to his face. Like, again, it feels like they're also doing a little bit of, hey, the rest of sci-fi, we see you out there. And so we're throwing some nods your way. Um, so to me, the, the name Caladan certainly rang as a part of Dune. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, having Titus Welliver show up in the episode, I thought that was fun. The only other thing, and this isn't an Easter egg, um, but we're checking off almost the rest of the boxes on the footage that we have seen in the trailer because we get them yeah. running through that hallway, the stormtroopers running through the hallway on the freighter, and, you know, at this point, about all we have left is the chase with the troop transport and the speeder bikes going over the cliff of whatever that installation is. But we got the water scenes, them on the boat, 
on the dock. Weren't the frog, Mr. and Mrs. Frog, on the boat with them in the in the trailer? I don't remember them on the boat. I remember them walking right in front of them on okay. the on the dock right before we see. Um, Maybe that's Costco Reeves hiding behind the crates and spying, and then. Um, yeah, I don't know that I remember seeing them on the boat, though. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what is one thing you want to know more about after seeing this episode, Nick Milky? I The thing that I think has the potential, and I don't know if I want to know more or if I just want to see it, see how it develops. I mean, I do want to see how it develops. That's a silly way for me to say that. The idea of our Mandalorian coming face to face with the idea of where he, who raised him. Mm-hmm. As she said, he's one of them. In fact, she uses our new favorite Star Wars curse, Dank Farrick, um, when, she said, when she realizes, oh, he's one of them. He's a child of the watch, is what she said, mm-hmm. which he was rescued by and brought into uh, be, to being a foundling and a Mandalorian through some faction of Death Watch. And what we know about Death Watch is that they were basically a very fundamental warrior heavy aspect of the Mandalorian culture. And they wanted to revert, as she said, to the old ways, which was much more focused on war domination, the idea that you don't take your helmet off. All of those things were kind of considered the old way. Um, And so that almost seemed like there was a little bit of a dawning. Of course, we can't see his face, but as she was saying that, I felt like we were seeing him process that a little bit. And we yeah. said that even before with, you know, in fact, we kind of used the joke at one point, you know, this kind of thing is a way for them to fix something that was so prevalent in Clone Wars and Rebels, where we saw Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time. You know, mm-hmm. Sabine walks in, sets it on the table. Somebody's carrying it under the arm. They put it on, they fly away. And so initially when his whole thing was, I don't take my helmet off for anybody, everybody was going, but wait a minute, we've seen them take it off all the time. So it's a quick story fix that actually I think has the ability to bring some more weight to that character. And is he going to process that in a way to where he's going to change and maybe he's going to become more comfortable taking it off or become comfortable taking it off. We've already seen him change in his attitude towards droids. Um, You know, he has softened with IG 11 with Pelimoto's pit droids when he flies in a couple weeks ago and she says, don't do that. You know how he feels. And he goes, it's fine let him do it, you know, a little bit begrudgingly, but we're seeing this evolution of this character from the beginning of this series up through where we are now with identity as somebody who was found. He's modeling in some senses, you know, parenting things for baby Yoda um, as a parent. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how that evolves. And so my dig deeper thing that I would love to hope, see them explore further is, maybe his realization of the different factions of Mandalorians and maybe part of what he always believed was not the entire story. And how does that affect his journey or his character? Yeah. And, and just to make sure, once again, this is one of those things, if you're a Clone Wars and Rebels fan, you, you know these distinctions. But Death Watch, we've talked about Death Watch in this, in this uh, review so far. Death Watch is something that Bo-Katan was a part of. I don't know if it's still around. Um, but it was a uh, a group that was almost a terrorist group against the kind of new Mandalorian demilitarized Mandalore. Correct. Um, and so Death Watch is wants to go back to this militarization of Mandalore. It is. It sounds like Nick, and correct me if I'm wrong, that 
The Watch, which is Death Watch is never called The Watch, sounds like a smaller splinter group off of Death Watch. And it's, it's, I mean, she calls it, it's a cult. Right. Right. Um, and so, whereas like Death Watch just kind of wants to go back to like a socioeconomic political way of doing things. It sounds like the watch has turned Mandalore from just that was our first leader to this is like almost like a god. Right. Um, and it's a very religious uh, thing. And we kind of got that with the armorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this very like priest, uh, priestly role with the armorer and, and forging the, the, um, the um, best car into armor. So, so that's the, it seems like there's a difference between the watch and Death Watch. And it sounds like the watch is a splinter group off of Death Watch and still wore the same insignia because when we saw Den Jaren rescued, the, the, uh, the Mandalorians that rescued him were definitely bearing the Death Watch insignia. So, um, so I know that that might sound a little bit confusing to a lot of people. So there's clearly there's something called Death Watch, which we've, we've only seen in passing here with insignia. And then this episode, we learned something that we've never learned before. And that's something called the watch and that he was a child of the watch. Um, yes. And, and I want to know more about uh, having Bo-Katan on the screen and all this. I want to know, I want to see the night of a thousand tears and mm-hmm. purge. That just sounds super awesome. Uh, even though I'm like Mandalorians don't like the Imperials, but um that just sounds like an epic like two towers lord of the rings like <laughs> right and, right and and, and I need that. to go I need to go back and check because I'm trying to remember that last four episode of arc of clone wars that wrapped up earlier this year I'm trying to remember and of course there were people that said you know it's possible that that storyline was kind of supposed to be the night of the thousand tears while it wasn't necessarily called that specifically does that phrase refer to that big, you know, blowout showdown as a part of that Siege of Mandalore? Because we've kind of had the Siege of Mandalore a couple of different times in different ways and different modes. Um, so I would have to go back and do some digging to find out if, you know, what we know is the Night of a Thousand Tears. Does that refer to this last arc where we have Ahsoka and Maul and, you know, Obi-Wan and, you know, that whole wrap up to that big arc um, Rex and how that all ends. I don't remember for sure. That's Mandalorian versus Mandalorian and Republic. I feel like this right. is Mandalorian versus empire. I think, I, got I, I think we got to have the, I might be wrong because you know, clearly the Republic becomes the empire. So from probably Mandalorian perspective, the Republic and the empire are two, two sides of the same coin. Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like this seems more ruthless, more almost like blitzkriegy uh, on onto the um, onto Mandalore. So uh, we we will see, but I definitely want to see more about that and uh, kind of see. Basically, I would not mind, and I know people would probably throw their arms up in frustration. I would not mind a complete flashback episode, right? Um, but I'm sure people would hate that. But I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, but I do agree. I think our next, I think our next episode, I would not be shocked if we found ourselves back on Tatooine, uh, uh, and Pelimoto fixing the ship that is clearly not in a good shape. It's not doing um, well at all. I don't, I don't know what he does there, but I mean, I, I, I just, I, I would be kind of shocked if, if the next episode we see him 
landing on Corvus. Right. And being like, I'm here looking for Ahsoka Tano. Does anybody know where, That's right. where she is? Looking <laughs> for a Gruen. That's right. Can anybody help me um, out? So I feel like we're going to get that. I feel like, uh, but, you know, who knows? We might run into Bill Burr, Space Bill Burr. <laughs> space space uh, Boston. Uh, next week and, and have a little fun thing there. We might get a good chase episode uh, with uh, with um, with Boba Fett. Of course, last time we saw Boba Fett, he was on Tatooine. Sure. Uh, so going back to Tatooine might have a story with it. So uh, anyway, I think that's that's it. A, a fun two big reveals, I think, this episode and definitely pushes the story forward as we uh, continue our march to the end of season two. Absolutely. Um, a couple of newsworthy items as we wrap up. I know we mentioned it last week, uh, but earlier this week, the From a Certain Point of View Empire Strikes Back edition book came out. Um, that came out on Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to getting into that at some point in my future. And also, this coming Tuesday, November the 17th, I do believe it is, on Disney Plus, the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special is going to drop, <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, Steve. I'm really excited about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna push save on that until all of my tests and papers are in. <laughs> Lego gonna, Star, go ahead. I'm, I, there's so many. Th- I have like a list of things <laughs> that I can't wait to do. That well, is not happening right now. Well, Lego Star Wars to me is a lot of fun. It doesn't have to be canon. It doesn't have to be. Anything other than fun. There's lots of in jokes. The, all the Lego properties, the Lego movies, um, Lego Batman, like all that. It's just good fun. And they also do it in a way just based on what we've seen in the trailers. It's fun for everybody. It's got tie-ins for people like us. It's got tie-ins for like all my kids are going to think it's funny and great. And it's just something fun we need right now. So I'm very excited that we've got that coming out. I do also want to invite our listeners if you have not yet, please follow us on Twitter. We are at Will's Pod. We try to be pretty active over there. Uh, we want to interact with you. As we like to say, if you will go to our anchor page, you can interact with the show, leave us your thoughts, leave us a voicemail or a message. We'd love to play some of those in future episodes. Um, and also, at the end of this episode, like we did last week, I do have Harper's Hot Take. <laughs> that we, will, we will drop in at the end of the show. We recorded it on the way to school this morning. Uh, we were up again at five o'clock this morning to watch this episode together. And in fact, as soon as it ended, she said, can we do it again? And I looked at my clock and it wasn't time for everybody else in the house to get up. So we watched it again. So we watched it twice this morning before about 615. Um, raising them right. We are raising them right. But Harper's hot take will be dropped in at the end of this episode. So we appreciate you checking that out. She's having a lot of fun watching and participating. And it is now driving my other children to say, I also want to be on your podcast. So I'm going to have to come up with some creative ways to plug everybody else in, maybe get Grantham plugged in as well. Uh, I'd be praying what would be there. But, <laughs> but anyway, a lot of fun stuff. Hope to see you all next Friday, and may the Force be with you. Always. Always. All right, we're here. We're ready for Harper's Hot Take. We just finished Chapter 11, The Heiress, and... We want to get her feedback on what she thought. So, Harper, tell us, what was your favorite part of this episode? My favorite part was when they first mentioned Ahsoka Tano on the Imperial ship, and I got really excited, and my heart skipped a beat, and I started, like, breathing in really fast. I I can attest to that. She got very excited at the mention of Ahsoka, 
and I did as well. I can't wait to see how that plays out. I think one of the big questions is going to be, is that going to be a part of next week's episode, or are we going to have to wait while they tease it out a little bit? So, Harper, that is definitely an exciting part of the episode. And so that being said, and these two things may go together, what is the thing that you're excited most about coming up next? Probably Ahsoka Tano, and when um, the child is going back to his family. Going back to his family. Can't we wait to find out? Does he have a family? Are there other baby Yodas or Yoda peoples? Um, It's going to be exciting to see. We have no idea what's going to happen. 